trying to figure out and move your way through building new relationships, um, building relationships with the team, building relationships with the children, you know, wanting them to trust me, but knowing that they have no reason to. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 70, The Unintentional Pedestal, featuring Shaquilla Solomon. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Find the Good News. In this episode, I share my conversation with Shaquilla Solomon, a Calcasieu Parish teacher that has served as an educator in a Nigerian community for over a year. It's an eye-opening and reflective conversation that I think you'll enjoy. On February 11th, a day has been set aside to remember the legacy of local musician and friend, Brian Moore. Brian passed away last year on February 6th, and this past Christmas, Several of Brian's dearest friends came together for an evening of reflection. It's an honest and raw conversation filled with authentic love for the man. This February 11th, on Brian Moore's Day, I hope you'll set some time aside to share in this gathering of brothers. That's all the announcements I have for this episode. It's time to get in your best headspace, allow your mind to brighten and your senses to heighten. Latch on to the dream stream for a ride to a faraway land because you've pressed play on a little good news. One of the most gratitude producing activities I think one can participate in is meditating on the origins of things. When you look closely at any good thing in your life and trek backward, beautiful worlds of intersecting experiences and chance circumstances begin to unfold. A bigger picture is revealed and new light shines on individuals, revealing value that may not have been fully appreciated at the time. Reflecting on this blessing in my life, this podcast I call Find the Good News, it was clear that its origins flowed from many places, like little streams connecting into this one river of conversation. One of those streams formed during a video interview I conducted many years ago with a local educator named Shaquilla Solomon. I interviewed many of the best and brightest teachers in our region for that project, but there was a special light about Shaquilla. She spoke with uncalculated care, in a manner and tone that made every word seem important. While she was talking specifically about education, there was an undercurrent of wisdom that seemed to carry her words along effortlessly. In the full scope of that mini-documentary, only a fraction of what Shaquilla and I talked about made the final cut. Reflecting on that project put the idea in my head that perhaps there was a way to capture more of these beautiful conversations in the long form. If you listen to this podcast, then you can draw the connections from there. A lot has changed for Shaquilla since we visited at Washington Marion High School. She has since answered the call to serve as an educator in a Christian village in Nigeria. At the time of our conversation, she had been working there for one year. In speaking with Shaquilla, it was very clear to me that her time in Nigeria has expanded her comforting presence, deepened her gratitude, and strengthened her faith. It has shown her that one who chooses to teach can do so in ways that reach beyond the classroom walls, radiating out to others through small, everyday actions. Teaching can be shared through a kindness shown or even in the ways one teaches others how to value themselves just as they were created. 
In Nigeria, Shakila is gaining a new perspective, revealing a communal way of living that I am sure will continue to shape her as she moves on to the next stage of her journey. She has been a part of my journey too. Now, she can be a part of yours. This is my conversation with Shakila Solomon. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance and a holy wall of light. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all. With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Orrin Parker, and I'm going to find the good. I love you just as well. I honestly record everything. Okay. Like right now we're recording. Okay. We just start like this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I've listened to so many shows where it's so formal and I didn't want that at all. I wanted something that was just, well, honestly, I'll tell you the truth. I'm just going to jump right in. So, okay. you know, you probably remember when I came and interviewed you yes. for that big Calcasieu Parish video and what I found over the years was that that was really where my strength was. Not mm-hmm. the videoing part, but it was being behind the camera and talking Conversation. To mm-hmm. And you never hear me. You always just hear the reply mm-hmm. from the person, and then we, we would edit it all together. And I've had, in the last few years, I would have these um, really intimate conversations with the people I was filming. And mm-hmm. I knew that, like, 90% of what we talked about probably wouldn't be in the video. Yes. But the connection was still real, yes. right? And so I told my wife, I said, that's where my joy is, mm-hmm. really and truly, is not the editing, but it's in those those conversations that are just stuck on these hard drives that mm-hmm. never see the light of day. So we said, well, what if we just took that element alone and just said, hey, let's make a podcast about that. And Mm -hmm. let's just make it intimate and real. And now we can catch those Mm -hmm. conversations that we're not, that are not showing. Yeah. But so anyway, that's kind of where this was born from, part of it. And then the other thing was, I guess, a mission. And and it was that there's so much negativity Mm -hmm. in the world and those voices are so loud. Mm And social media is just run over with it. We thought, well, what if we created a signal that was just about good people that are affecting lives and doing good works in the world? So putting those two things together, and that was kind of where this was born from. Yeah. Um, celebrating people that maybe aren't, you know, being celebrated, celebrated mm-hmm. right? So anyway, it was interesting because my first guest was Mickey Smith. Mm-hmm. And I see your smile. He was my band teacher. <laughs> well, that's funny because I brought you up in that conversation in my first episode. And I had told him about that video project. And he, he kind of paused because what I told him was this. I said, 
I interviewed a bunch of teachers and, you know, everybody was picked specifically for who they were. It was like, you know, cherry picking these great voices. But when you get back to editing and you're going, well, I don't know how I'm going to put all this together. You're looking for, I'd call it the spine mm-hmm. of the whole thing. And, and I'm not trying to stroke your ego, but this is no. the honest, honest to God truth. I was sitting there editing that. And every time I would get to what you would say, because I asked everybody the same questions, Mm -hmm. but when I would get to what you would say, it was so like coming through for me. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there and I would, I could feel my heart like unlock and my tight, my eyes would, I'm I'm a crier. And I was, (laughs) I would start to fill up with my, my water, you know? Uh And I knew, I knew that if you go watch that video, everything you say is the hub of where I built the, I built the whole video from. Okay. And I was telling Mickey that because we were talking about education. Mm-hmm. And he he got a little bit um, reflective, mm-hmm. maybe a little emotional too. And he said, and I hadn't known, I didn't know that you had moved. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know any of that because yeah. I was just talking about it like, oh, she's still here. Okay. And he mm-hmm. said, man, he said, I, yeah, I know, I know Shaquilla. And you could just see like this look. And he was like, yeah. He said, you know, we got to. We got to figure out how we're going to keep those kind of teachers mm. for these kids, you know. And I was like, "What do you, you know? What do you mean by that?" And then I realized you were in Nigeria, yeah. right? Yeah. So I went and looked you up and kind of tried to connect with you okay. online. And I was like, "She may not even remember me," but I just started following what <laughs> yeah. was going on, and I was just sort of fascinated and mm. had a thousand questions. <laughs> so obviously, that video was done a long time ago, and I guess that's a good place to kind of launch right in, like so. Compared to that day, mm-hmm. what school was? Um, I was at Washington. Washington Marion. Mm-hmm. So obviously, all of that stuff that was reaching into my heart that was affecting me was so authentic and true, and has motivated you to take your mm. your life in a whole new direction. But yet, sort of blossom with that still those philosophies that mm-hmm. you had a passion for children. So. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind, can we just like leap off right there and you kind of tell me what happened, sort of your journey to education and okay. and then sort of what, what led you to make that decision? Um, my journey to education. So when I first started school, I was at McNeese. Okay. And my first major was pre-veterinary medicine. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it wasn't education. Uh, no. no. <laughs> Because I just knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, and um, I didn't. I didn't want to be a veterinarian. I just admired the men that I worked for, because in high school, I worked at Southwest Louisiana Veterinary Clinic. Oh. And so um, I loved it. And when I got into the study of it, the research, the background, it just... I didn't love it. You know, I loved my job. I loved being there. I loved the relationship building and I loved teaching the people in the rooms about what mm. was going on with their animals. Yeah. And it wasn't until I kind of figured out that it was the education of that position that I loved and not necessarily position itself that I decided, okay, let's do something different. Interesting. So you were you were aware that it was the education component. Yeah. And it, it took me a while. Yeah. So um once I realized that I did animal science and agricultural education so i was going to i was like okay we can still do animal science and i'll go to be an ag teacher so in that we have to do observations and i was observing ag teachers in the community and their relationships and they really had a passion for their animals and i just didn't not for large animal like horses and cattle 
bulls and things like that again loved the work right but the way those children loved their animals i couldn't i couldn't relate and um i talked to one of my former teachers lori benoit she works at barb right now okay um and she'd always told me, you know, going to English. You should be an English teacher. And I just thought it was so funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd never, but I'm assuming you'd never, never even considered no, that, right? No, okay. But um, I talked to my advisor at McNeese. And I was like, I think I want to change my major to education, concentrating in English. And she was like, hmm. from animal science? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she was yeah. like, okay. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved the observations. I loved the lesson planning. I loved trying to prepare the the knowledge I wanted to transfer, but focusing on relationship building in the process. I just loved everything about it. And yeah. and that was it. I was stuck. Yeah. I was I couldn't get out and of so, it. <laughs> so honestly, I mean it sounds like to me it could have been any subject, maybe, Definitely. right? It was just that dynamic was, of engaging with the yes. youth. Yeah. And since then, so I, I got my bachelor's degree in um, English and Foreign Languages at McNeese. And when I was teaching at Washington Mary, and I ended up teaching 10th, uh, 10th and 12th grade English um, speech. Hmm. I taught speech. I taught a creative writing class. And... Um, like ACT prep and just really different types of courses and this was all at the same time I taught all of these at the same time oh really okay Uh and so I still loved it I loved trying to find different ways to engage the students and have them enjoy what they're doing but still feel like individual people in the classroom you know what I mean yeah yeah and um I was like yeah it's just an education thing like I just love the concept of transferring knowledge and so my last year at Washington Marion, I decided to study to get my master's in ESL because I wanted to travel and do the same thing teaching English. Okay. I didn't know where I was going to go. You didn't? Um, no? I had no idea. <laughs> wow. And so my last year there, I was still teaching, but I was getting my master's in teaching ESL. And so I finished and like six months later, I applied at the position in Nigeria. Wow. <laughs> so how it's okay, just help me lay this out. So how long had you been teaching before you accepted that position? Four years. Four years. So mm-hmm. that's rather quick. I mean, yeah, it was yeah fast. That's, a, that's a fast track. It was fast. You make a big shift in your mm-hmm. education, you, you 180 in a whole it new path quick. and then yeah. That's mm-hmm. interesting. And so, I started teaching. I was I was I was young, you know. Well, how old are you? Right now, right I'm now. 28. You're 28 years old. I'm that's young. a lot of <laughs> Wow. What an inc- I mean that's an incredible really? thing, I think. Well, yeah, I mean I don't know. I guess to me I I know this maybe it's just the natural, maybe something natural about you, but mm-hmm. like when I was talking to you at doing that video, what you were transferring and just the clarity with which you were doing it, it just felt like you'd been teaching a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that like, oh, as an old teacher. I no, just, I got I just it felt like you had, I don't know, been teaching your whole life. Mm, that's Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I don't know. It just shocks me. I, I that had, that's uh, how short a time period it's been. One of my professors, uh, Mimi Wallace at McNeese, she, because I wasn't going to graduate, um, uh, 
I didn't finish my what was it? I didn't finish my student teaching. Okay. I still needed some more time doing student teaching. So in 2017, I got diagnosed with type 2b cervical cancer really Mm -hmm. (laughs) wow Uh okay and so (laughs) man and but before then i'd always had problems i didn't know what was going on i was always sick and so that year at mcneese i was just always sick and i wasn't really sure what was going on so i missed a lot of time in class and dr wallace was just like shakila you need to get this done. And I was like, I can't do this. I will pick up another semester and finish next semester. I can't do this. And she was like, that is not an option. You have to get this done. You need to be in somebody's classroom like yesterday. And I sat in her office. Oh my goodness. I just cried. And she just let me cry. And she was like, get it out. Okay, now let's go. (laughs) And and I went and I did my student teaching at Barb. Oh, really? mm Mm-hmm. And then I finished and I graduated and I got the job at Washington Marion during the summer before the school year started. Wow. Mm -hmm. So how long after you start teaching full time at Washington Marion do you just go, oh, wow, this feels like home. This this role I have now as an educator is what I'm supposed to do. I think it was around my second year. Really? Um, Yes, because it was challenging. I, like I said, I was young. Hmm. So when I was teaching at Washington Marion, I just turned 22. Wow. And I was teaching grade 12. So there were students in class who I was only maybe two or three years older than. Because hmm. um, they were 19, 18, and 19. Yeah, right. That's not a big deal. And so uh, building a rapport of respect and understanding uh, was challenging. You know, the maternity that I that I have it was hard to express because they were so close in age to me so they didn't they definitely didn't see me as a mother figure right right and they saw me as a joke you know i was really? just like a young teacher coming in take advantage yeah. of and kind of just ride the year uh-huh. yeah, okay i got and you. so i was really transparent with them from the beginning and uh I love my class of 2016. <laughs> they they became they did become my babies, you uh-huh. know, because we grew up together in the classroom. Sure, you cut your teeth uh-huh. on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting. And um, they were learning things about themselves and their interaction with me in the classroom. And it was it was just a beautiful it was a beautiful way to start an education. It is. It sounds mm-hmm. beautiful. And mm-hmm. so you learn a lot in that first year and then you just yeah. you just get to where you're hunting. It just yes. seemed like you had a natural rapport that day I went in to film. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed, because I'd filmed at other schools and other mm-hmm. classrooms, and I mean, of course, I'm kind of observant because I'm a lot of my life is looking through a lens, you know, mm-hmm. and people watching and details and yeah. faces, and I'm just kind of attuned to that thing. And mm-hmm. so, in your classroom that day, I did pick up on this sort of. I don't know, just natural, comfortable rapport that you Mm -hmm. seem to have with the kids. And I thought, man, it just I guess it had that air about it that you had these longstanding relationships with them. But now hearing this, it just seems like you just have that ability to build that very quickly Mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. Is it that way with everybody with you? Not just the kids, but have you just always? No, I think I do have that rapport because I'm intentional. Uh, you know, I will hound you <laughs> um, to serve you and uh, to love you and to learn how you need to be loved and um, to see how we can serve together and just to understand your heart, the heart of a person, you know. Yeah. And so um, I feel like it is that way with 
everybody I meet. It just happens that way. Yeah. Um, that, like I said, I hound them. Yeah. And, and you know, some people don't like that. Yeah. So I, I kind of get a gauge of maybe I do need to back off and just kind of leave them. And I, I learned that with my students. I learned that in the classroom. Um, when they're ready, they'll come. Yeah. And, and if they never come, you go because they need that pursuance. And so um, I think I just that may just be a part of my character yeah i don't know what it is but you've got something i mean i've come I, I, it's true and i don't know how to really express this properly but me and my wife privately have these conversations a lot i've always uh it's gonna sound maybe hokey to some people but it's like a almost the taste of someone's energy mm. if it makes any sense no, and, and sense. I, I sometimes when i describe things to her i use like actually there's some people i've told her it's like they feel like um the way it tastes when you stick your tongue on a battery <laughs> no no but something people feel different like mm -hmm. and and there's this natural i don't know um bubble of just comfort like mm -hmm. you're there's a, a space there that you, that disarms you mm -hmm. Right, if it makes any sense. No, it does. And that's kind of what I felt like when I was lit, when I was around you in your classroom and, and speaking with you. It was just like, uh, even though I was over here and you were over there, mm -hmm. it was like when you would talk, your passion just sort of would come off of you, mm -hmm. and then everything you were saying just had like a uh, a, a weight to it, mm -hmm. but not a bad weight, like a good, powerful, comfortable healing sort of weight so anyway i just i don't know i just that's why i was asking if it's always been that way for mm. you because it just seems like that's your nature i don't know i don't know i it's not always intentional you know um so i'm not sure well okay so that kind of makes me beg to ask the question but like you said about i'm sorry i didn't mean to no no please that's just, um, it's fine in my classroom in my home um, and even now in Nigeria, my goal is always I want whoever walks into this space to feel safe to be themselves, mm. not because I'm going to praise them as they are, mm -hmm. but because before I can encourage, edify uh, anything, I need to see who you really are. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just kind of been the, the root of it all starting in the classroom is that. My students could come in and be themselves. Yeah. But if who they were were not bettering the kingdom or the people around them, um, I held them accountable to it. Um, but that did not make them any less comfortable showing me their raw, true selves. Yeah. And I think that's just, I try to create that kind of atmosphere when I'm around people that they don't have to pretend or right. anything. That's something I think about a lot too. I kind of have a similar goal. I, I've I've come to believe that the biggest poverty in the world is not. I mean, there are real poverties like hunger, mm -hmm. you know, and shelter and all the basic things. And mm -hmm. but I think the real poverty is people being seen. Mm -hmm. I think some people just want to be seen and they're not seen. And I don't mean just seen like, hey, I'm over here. My name's Orin. I exist, yeah. but I mean like seen through whatever this is, yep. you know, all these little accumulated elements that have made me, me, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere beyond all of that stuff, whether it's trauma or whether it's 
whatever, whatever the history of me is, somewhere beyond all of that, there's some me that's not all that. Yeah. And I, I want to share that part of me with other people. And I, I feel like deeply, whether people we admit it or not, or even know it or not, I think we're hungry. All of us are hungry to be acknowledged mm. in that way. Like you said, I want people's heart. You know, mm. I want to see the show, my heart, and see their heart. I guess that's what I, I'm talking no, about. You know, sense. there's just that part. Mm. Some people have that natural ability. It seems like you do to connect with people there, or mm. let them know that oh, you can let all this stuff sort of fall yeah. away. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to do all this stuff. Let me just mm. see you. And having people. And having people who love that way around me so mm. I can do the same thing so I can disarm, like you said, yeah. and then find and grow and change in the ways that I need to. Um, so, I'm, like I said, I, I welcome everybody. I'm really open um, with building relationships with everybody, but I'm not that good at reciprocity because I am guarded. And mm. so when I have those few pockets of people who I can disarm with, uh, they really help me to um, manifest into what it is I'm supposed to be, into the woman that I'm supposed yeah. to be. And so, but that takes a lot of vulnerability. Yeah. And of course, I want people to feel that way with me. And Man, um, I, I get everything you're saying. I struggle with that. It's, actually. it's so challenging. I would rather be the help. Who? Yeah, I'd rather be who. I should be who I. It's weird because my wife and I went to my son's uh, Christmas thing at school today, and she knows like when I get around large crowds that I have to kind of, I have to sort of back off, back off because, and she was she she can tell when I'm doing it, and I said it's weird. I said because I don't like I love connecting with people, but at the same time when I'm around too many people, it's overwhelming. Oh my gosh, it's like too much coming in, and I just have to sort of create an island inside myself. And she and she's like, yeah, you're 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 you can tell you're shelling up. I said, no, it's not because I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I do, but I can't do this this mm-hmm. way. It's just too much, and. I told her, it's weird. The best way I can describe it is that I just don't feel at home in myself right now when mm. I'm in these situations. I said, but I'd rather that better part of me, just like you said, you surround yourself with people that allow that to come out more. Mm. I would rather that. I want mm. more of that in the world because I'm more effective that way. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a better healer, a better listener mm. when I'm in situations that... <sighs> Or conducive to that. Yep. But at the same time, I struggle with, but that's not always what's out there. Mm. And so I have to be able to still be that, even though the situation or the people I'm around aren't conducive to it. Because yep. that's where the gift is needed, or whatever, I'm not mean that like no, a pound of that, but is needed the most. So mm-hmm. it's it's a weird struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, because this mm-hmm. is safe right here yes. at this table, right? I mean, this <laughs> is safe, but to get out, the, you get out, and you never it know changes. what you're getting out there. I, I saw you share something on Facebook the other day. I think it was you, an article on uh, being an empath. Oh yeah, that yeah, that was you. Yeah, it was me. And I read it, and I was like, "Oh, that's me." <laughs> there, yeah. When you when you are empathetic by nature, when yeah. when that's just a part of you, you pick that stuff up. Yeah. You know, you just kind of start into you. Ooh, I know. And it makes you want to just kind of curl up and back away. Yeah. Um, because I get the same way. Before I left, I had um, my final fundraiser was at Lake Charles Toyota. Okay. And hundreds of people 
you know there were so many people there just surrounding me beautiful reflection of community mm-hmm. of the arts different restaurants that come in and donated cards and things like that but maybe 30 minutes into it i was in the bathroom and my sister came in and she was like shakila renee <laughs> i said it's too much and she was like get out there like they're here supporting and encouraging you get out there and i was like i just need a few minutes a and minute. she was like okay so she closed the door and she stood outside the door and she didn't let anybody in and I felt like I was just like releasing everything that I had taken in from everybody in that room and then I had to go back out and you know do it again but (laughs) I get everything you're saying it's so exhausting and it's because we take it in god that's so Mm -hmm. interesting I don't really get I don't talk to anybody else really ever about this okay I mean my wife I talked to her Mm -hmm. but I never She's not that way, so she's like uh-huh. okay, she's more fascinated by it. Than, yeah, and she, it's good to have somebody to talk to, but it mm-hmm. explains a lot of my behavior. And she mm-hmm. even said, having come to this realization, she said it explains so much about everything I know about you mm-hmm. that I go, why mm-hmm. these behaviors, why these things? Because it comes off to some people with me like I don't want to be around them absolutely or that I am not ha- or that I don't appreciate them and I'm like it's not even that at all it's so it's, it's so little about them it has nothing to do with <laughs> them it's all. all about this thing I don't know how to deal with sometimes mm-hmm. and man it's interesting I, I've done exactly what you're talking about in different versions of that where mm-hmm. I go well look I can't okay I've done this I, I'm, I'm willing to be out front mm-hmm. I'm willing to go be out front and do the thing and even be with the people mm-hmm. But I can own once I've only for hit, so long. yeah I got to get away. For me, nature has helped, and and even <laughs> cemeteries. My wife, people probably would die to know how often I go to random cemeteries because and whenever my wife asks me, or so why cemeteries? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but the number one reason I said because there's nobody there. Mm. I can go to a cemetery and walk to the center. And it's like everything's leaving. It's like all and and nobody wants anything. Mm -hmm. And I just can go out there and pray and just sort of let it all out and just completely expand all of that. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of just taken away in the silence and the the quiet of all these, you know, graves. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a morbid way. No, it makes sense. It's it's interesting. It does. I mean, it does. I um, one of my favorite things right now in Nigeria when I start feeling that way. Um, when I start feeling over, I don't know, I guess. Charge, stimulated. Yes, like it's overstimulated. Like, yeah. yeah. I, um, there are huge rocks, mm. you know, like almost like mountains, but yeah. not quite that high. You can climb them and things oh, okay. like that. And you get to the top, look down. It's not crazy high. Yeah. And so I'll go to some probably about 10 minutes from my compound. Nobody's ever out there. Maybe a few motorcyclists are there. And it's just like the horizon, the trees, the mountains. And I go and I bring my mat and I just sit. (laughs) I just sit. I'll do it for maybe 15, 20 minutes. That's all it takes. And then I can go back to the village and be fine. But I feel like I need that that quiet, that Mm. release. Um, Yeah. Or I'm just out of my body. I'm out of. I'm out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, it's so interesting. I, I totally get that. I seek places like that. I try to mm-hmm. find these little hidey holes on these yeah, country yeah, roads, yeah. and 
you know, sometimes it's just a cow pasture that no nobody's out there, and I can just go and watch the sun come up. And yeah. yep. And you know, yeah, there's power lines still and stuff, but it's like I don't know. It's weird, but it's like I have these rings I feel like around myself, and I'm like, I need to get to where nobody's in these rings right now. Mm-hmm. Just me and the cycles of the earth, and just for a little bit, just to mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a recharge. It's a yeah. it's it's almost like. I don't know. It feels like it's siphoning all that out. Like I told my wife this, that I feel like it's like an opportunity to sort of just expand a little bit and just Mm -hmm. be outside of yourself for just a moment. Healing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. I didn't expect (laughs) we were going to talk about all that. Me either. (laughs) And I'm happy. I know it. I'm helpless. Sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I have something I need to tell you about. You may or may not know this, but this podcast is produced in the city of Sulphur, Louisiana, one of the sister cities that make up Southwest Louisiana. All of my childhood memories are wrapped up in the city of Sulphur. It's my home, and it's been a good home for most of my life. There is a growing diversity of unique businesses, services, and events in Sulphur, each with a rich and colorful story to tell about their particular place in this little jewel on the west side of the Calcasieu River. My mission is to promote good news, to put a positive signal out in the world. That's why my team at Parker Brand Creative Services has created the new brand, Sulphur Today. Here's how it works. Post your Sulphur event, service, photos, videos, or information using the hashtag Sulphur Today. That's it. My team and I will scan and curate those posts through the social media platforms we've put in place. Before you make your post, just type hashtag, that's a pound sign for the folks that don't know what a hashtag is, and the words sulfur today with no space. My team at Parker Brand is monitoring this tag right now, and they're ready to create positive digital curb appeal for our city by sharing all the very best sulfur has to offer through the Sulfur Today social media pages. As the Sulfur Today project grows, we will be scheduling interviews and video sessions with businesses, events, and services so they can tell their story of Sulfur Today in a series of ongoing micro-documentaries. Look for the eye-catching Sulfur Today sign when you're out and about. And be ready, we may be stopping by to visit you for a photo op. And don't forget to stop by the Parker Brand Creative Services Studio in Sulphur to grab a Sulphur Today decal for your vehicle or business. We want people visiting our area to know that they can find all the wonderful things we have to offer with ease and be a part of our history by utilizing the Sulphur Today pages or by searching the Sulphur Today hashtag. Do you want to help us tell the story of Sulphur Today? Here's what I need you to do right now. Visit and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sulfur today. And be sure to share positive sulfur information and post often using the hashtag sulfur today. Now, back to find the good news. I want to kind of jump to Nigeria now, if that's okay. Because that's where, I mean, for me, that was the big, like, whoa, she's not here anymore. Uh Where's she at? And I'll Mm -hmm. go and look, and I'm like, (laughs) what is going on? So she's... You know, a whole new part of the world, yeah. different different life now, right? Mm-hmm. So what was that like? I mean, so was there fear? Was there anxiety? Or was it just like, okay, this feels like it. I'm doing this. And it felt 100% natural. I wasn't really afraid. Yeah. Um, the anxiety came from leaving my family and friends. Uh, um, 
worrying about what relationships would and would not withstand that um who would be able to handle that that big move and who would be able to adjust with the timing if we talked every day now we can't you know who would who would be able to push through that and we still maintain that bond yeah that's what i was anxious about yeah because like i said before my people are my people my people are my um they've seen me all of me and so there's just a sense of comfort there and i was just afraid of you losing that and having to do it all over again man um, yeah right and so that's that's where the fear was not necessarily nigeria or a building a new life i i'm pretty i'm an assimilator hmm. you know it's not I do. I feel like I assimilate to new places and new environments. Okay. Yeah. Especially if there aren't a ton of people. There. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I can find my space in new spaces pretty easily. Yeah. So I wasn't really nervous about that move. But like I said, just leaving so much behind that I care so much about, you know. Yeah. I can see that being pretty fearful. I mean, mm-hmm. I... I I've left and come back to Southwest Louisiana several times, but it's always people that I come back for. Yeah. You know, there's people that you just love and that you want to be near, you know. Now, this is interesting because it kind of reminds me of something that I I witnessed happen to somebody. I know they they had somebody that was their friend. And when they sort of, I guess, you know, with friends, you you don't talk sometimes for months or your Mm -hmm. life changes. And it's like, hey, I can't see every day like we used to. But Mm the friendship really suffered Mm -hmm. but those old friends that you've had for 20 years or whatever and that you may not talk to all the time when you get back together it's like no time had passed and those are the types of friendships that for me i valued the most because Mm -hmm. those people they do stand the test of wherever i go however much time passes Mm -hmm. whatever circumstances shift Mm -hmm. we still love each other and the friendship is very real Mm -hmm. um those ones in my life that don't withstand that i found that they are a little more shallow to some degree not the people they're not shallow but the relationship was shallow it was circumstantial if that makes any sense yeah that makes sense it does um have you developed now that you've been in Nigeria? Have you developed these bonds over there yes. now, where you're going? Oh wow! Now, if, if I ever were to come back home, <laughs> would I be having again. the exact same like questions again? No, I have, and um, let me think about how to say this. <laughs> I have some, I have some really solid friendships there, but very few. And it was very challenging. Really? Um, because I'm from the West uh, and I am in a a pretty remote community. Ah, okay. Um, now, what, so for people listening, like, what do you mean by remote? Like, what like is that? Like, it is out in the bush. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, the most, I think the most American thing I found is Pringles. You know, it's, wow. it's, it's out... And the city is huge, so you can kind of go into the city and, you know, drive a few hours and find more modern things. But a few hours, that's a pretty good haul, yeah, though, when, um, to get to a city. Yeah. And so, 
out in our community you know it's it's just really not it's not most most of the people not most but a lot of people live around me they use generators for light they don't always have electricity all of them get their water out of a well you know like it's just it's not western at all which is fine sure but it was hard to find things in common with people Mm. um well, you're and coming from a culture with a whole different set of habits and access to completely things. Completely different. Yeah. Um, and just knowing people's intentions. Mm, what do you mean? Um, because of money. Mm, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not rich. I understand. But I'm sure. American. Yeah, it's, it's so a perception. There were a couple of times I met people thinking that we were building relationships and getting closer, but it was just like, oh, you know, you can pay for this and pay uh, for this and yeah. we can go do this. And um, not that I'm naive, but I wanted to kind of just let that filter, let, let's filter all of that out. Let's get past all of that. Yes, 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 yes. And right. let's just build this friendship. And it just didn't happen with a few people. Yeah. Um, But I think you, you just kind of learn from that. And yeah. the people that I do have there, I love them. And uh, Shaquila, did you see baby Shaquila? No. Yes. <laughs> My friend Sarah there, she named her daughter after Come me. Come <laughs> on. What a, what a great honor yeah. that is. Oh, it was beautiful. I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> I did. I, man, what a touching thing. That's yeah, really incredible. She did. Um, it's her youngest, her baby girl. Um, and she named her after me and so like little relationships like that i'm like this this is this is enough you know yeah her kids we they love me i love them they can come they can come lay on the couch you know it's just it's it's natural and it feels natural and so i'm thankful for those kinds of relationships yeah Mm -hmm. you said something a second ago and i got it's something i don't know where i read it but or many people say different versions of this Mm -hmm. actually but uh it's that how little we actually need we Mm -hmm. think we need so much but how little we actually need and Mm -hmm. so hearing you say that you know the community you're living in um you're still using well water electricity Mm -hmm. as a generator Mm -hmm. but life is okay Mm -hmm. right i mean everything's fine and there's still Mm -hmm. love and still joy and community right Mm -hmm. it's beautiful it's it's just such a beautiful picture of community you know um sarah that's her name my friend that i was talking about so sarah lives in the compound with her husband and her sisters-in-law so her husband's brothers and their wives they all live in the same general area okay and i was spending time with her one day and she cooked and we ate and she took like another pot and she dumped like half of the food in that pot Mm -hmm. and then she brought it out to the center area in the compound and all of the other wives were there and they all just got like some of each other's pot said thank you and went home and i was like we just got another meal (laughs) she was like yeah i was like what was that and they do it every day and so it's an understood like helping each other out and sharing wow wow, every day they save enough of the food that they cook for their families to give to their extended families they meet it the same time in the same place give each other a pot take their pots and you know how beautiful is that oh it was so beautiful to watch happen i didn't know what was going on and now you that's a part that's a normal part of life it's not a part of a special holiday or no no that's really (laughs) it's like every day thanksgiving oh we are like tragically we are is we are 
Yeah, we we have a lot of walls up around us, and it's all mm. about securing your own individualism security. is just a part of American culture, from what I can tell. But that sense of community there, it I just fell in love with it immediately. How could you not? <laughs> it was, yeah. It's so beautiful to be a part of it. I bet. I mm. mean, oh, you you've said it twice, so you use the word compound. So can you explain a little more okay, about why yeah. you're using that word and what that means? Um, uh, so I understand the, better. No, I, it's fine. Um, so we live in a village. Okay. A fairly large village by population, not necessarily like how land. How many people are we talking in, about? In the city in the I live vi- in? In the village that you're in or wherever you're um, at? Is it? Easily a couple million. Oh, okay. Okay. Like dense. Okay. Um, Because Joss itself is a few million people just in that city. Okay. It's huge. Wow. Um, So the compound is just a blocked off area so so we have a gate okay well a fence our compound is fenced in we have a gate at the front and guards okay so that would be considered a compound i see and okay. so sarah and her husband's family is it gated it's not gated but they're like there's like a known line of demarcation like this okay. is our family area i see and so it's, it's a family compound yeah oh okay yeah. okay Mm-hmm. Interesting. And people, that's usually how they do it. So if I, if I were a man and I had five brothers, me and my brothers would work, save the money, get the money to buy or build houses in the same general area. Okay. And that would be our family compound. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So that's interesting. I had, had no idea. I've been trying to picture yeah. like what your living situation mm-hmm. was or where you live. So that's actually mm-hmm. helpful. And so within the compound, so are you educating people that are just in the compound um no so um you mean like in my job yeah like i don't really understand the dynamic of like okay what so you know our compound is a compound turned school <laughs> so oh. our students our resident children there have been living there since 2001 when there was a big crisis in joss and all of them lost their parents really so all of them are orphans and How did they lose their parents? I'm sorry. The, no, you. it's okay. The crisis. So it was a lot of church burnings, just random killings, kidnappings, those kinds of things were happening. Horror in and the, violence. Oh, yeah, That's definitely. Horrible. Happening in the area. And so um, at the time, Rafiki was accepting orphans. So wow. a lot of people in the community would find them, the children, or hear, get word about their situation, and then bring them to Rafiki. Um just as a safe haven and that's kind of how they got there yeah it's called the rafiki Rafiki. foundation okay Mm -hmm. and so as years go you know the children grow up and they need school they need schooling so the foundation established a school in the compound so they got older so the school got higher you know it went from being just like a little pre-k to kindergarten up to grade 12 um and as of late, they've opened the school up to the community, not just the resident children. So people from other compounds and other villages are bringing their kids to our school in our compound. Wow. Um, and so, you know, they're interacting with the resident children and they're, they're getting uh, an idea of what to expect when they go out. And they've been going out now with extended family, um, brothers and aunties and grandparents of their parents um that's so interesting what a how long has this been going on i mean at this how long since you know the crisis and then this compound has formed in the um, education 
I think the crisis was in 2001. Rafiki opened in 2004. So about 17 years. Wow. That, that's a subject that kind of comes up on the show a lot. Maybe not a subject or an observation that so often there are tragedies in the world. Mm. But you can good people are able to take that tragedy or the energy of that tragedy and completely redirect it. Mm. And, and something else blossoms out mm-hmm. of it, which is... All we, I mean, that's the best way to face a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You don't want to create more tragedy. Uh-huh. So often, when in conflicts, we see that it's just more violence and just back and Follow. forth. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, violence to violence to violence, and it's a chain reaction. It just travels through history. But to hear that that was born out of that—that's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Yes, yes. You know, and I think a lot of the the different orphanages there were a result of that. You know, um, so those children are now in the schools and, you know, those orphanages have turned into schools because in a lot of not just West African countries, but a lot of African countries, they're outlawing orphanages. Why? Um, They feel like it is not uh, effective in raising a child in a way that prepares them for life. Mm, Um, It's it's too institutionalized, which in some degrees can be true. Um, they don't have that sense of individuality. They don't have the sense of feeling like they have the parents that love them, you know, as much as everybody in my cottage, mm. you know. And so, uh, they just completely outlawed it, and a lot of those orphanages were reestablished as schools, so they can still be provisionary for the children who were living there. Yeah, if they weren't able to be adopted by anyone in the community. So interesting. <clears throat> so. For you, what what's been the biggest? Uh, what were the biggest differences, and then the biggest changes that you've seen in yourself since you've been in Nigeria? Like big differences that you that were like almost culture shocks. I mean, you you obviously are able to fit in, like you said, very well. Mm-hmm. You, you adapt very easily to new living situations or new environments and people, but. Was there anything that you just were like, wow, this is this is so different? I really think the community. Was that really? That, okay. Yes, it was. It was. It was just so shocking to see, you know, Sarah fussed at me one day, not like really fussed at me. Kind of just, what are but you doing? <laughs> she, yeah, she wasn't happy um, because somebody at church one Sunday, because I go to church with them. Okay. Um, somebody at church one Sunday, I was holding baby Shaquille and she was like, is that your baby? And I was like, no, that's Sarah's daughter. I just love her like she is. And you know, they laughed and walked away. Um, and that next day, Sarah was like, why did you say that wasn't your baby? And I was like, well, I mean, you're her mom. What do you mean? Why did I right, say? And right. she was like, no, she's ours. You know, and she was so she's serious. Um, she wasn't laughing. She was just like, if anybody ever asks you if that's your child, that is your baby. She was like, you're her mother, just like I'm her mother. And she needs you like she needs me. And it was just so raw. You know, yeah. she meant what she was saying. And I never, I've never heard that before. You know? It's interesting. <laughs> I was it like, is interesting. I, um... And it just kind of, she meant it. She meant it. You, I want you to be a mother to my daughter. Um, when here, 
just from experience in the school system women feel challenged by that like no that's my daughter um you can help such and such but there are boundaries you know there were no boundaries there she wanted me to be in the life of that baby and to be proud of it and to say it boldly to anybody who asked and so things like that and watching she and her sisters you know give each other meals um like there was a day when a KK na pep, that's the small taxis. Okay. They're like tricycles essentially. One flipped over on the road. He was trying to do a U turn yeah. and it completely flipped. In in like three seconds, or and there were like fifteen people there helping, picking his things up, wow. put him in the car, flipping the car back over. It took no time to get him out the street, and then all of those people walked away. You know, and yeah. I was just like. Like I, I have that image in my head now. We were going around the corner. I vividly remember things like that because those are things that aren't common. You, I just no, you're right. I you mean, here I will say. I mean, and I can't, I can't, I can only guess what's going through people's minds. I can tell you what's going through mine. When I see like a car broke down, or I mean, it's happened many times. Mm-hmm. My instinct is, hey, I'm gonna pull over, and I usually say, hey, I'm gonna be late for work, or I'm late mm-hmm. because of this. But what you notice in those situations is, is how many people just go around because they're going, I just don't have time for that. Yeah, because yeah. potentially wherever they're heading, there's they need to be there. They need to be there. And then whoever is in their authority or authority mm-hmm. over them will say, well, you know, that's, that's terrible that happened, but I've got other, th- I've got an agenda and you need to be here for my agenda. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of flows down that way in yeah. our culture. And I'm not saying that people don't help each other yeah, ever, no. but there's, there's that sort of half in half out. Yes. Versus what you just described. Yeah. Everyone just comes together. There was no hesitation. And, you know, I I hope it's not coming off that way. Now that you said that, it may come off that way. Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't take it that way. Okay. Um, I just think it, you know, I I sense it too. Yeah. And we do have it here. There is community here. People love each other here. But what I saw there was like nothing I'd ever seen. It just was. um, Like situations like that. Nobody was hesitant. Nobody was cautious nobody was checking their their time they just went they helped and they left you know um it was just a really Mm. authentic sense of service to your neighbor yeah they love their neighbors instinctually like Mm. culturally it's just built in and so many different people you know um it wasn't like all men ran up. It was men, women, a couple teenagers. Like, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I didn't know what they were about to do. Yeah. And they helped him. And then they just went on about their day. So I think the biggest difference is seeing that sense of community so clearly. Yeah. In in the city. Right. Um, and obviously, there are terrible things that happen there, you know? Sure. I well, told you some of the crisis. It, yeah. It's, it's not like it's a perfect place. But yeah, you're not describing utopia, mm, but, uh-huh. you're, but you're describing... Um, I don't know. You just uh, to me. I've had this conversation with a few different people, and, and we and we few of us have taken different perspectives. Like some people think that human nature is uh, inherently bad, mm. and we have to try to be good. And some people think it's inherently good, and yeah, we do bad yeah, things. Yeah. You know, and what you described right there to me is like I actually do believe that we have a good nature. I believe mm. that we want to be better. That 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 person that's inside, outside mm. all these things that we maybe have grew up with or that's stuck on the outside. And what you're describing to me is everybody's good nature just rose up together. Let's all go do this because it's yeah. the right thing to do. And then we step away. It's instinctual. It's not yeah. 
resisted. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this fear that permeates. I think. I'm not, and again, I, I want to say for the record too that I do think there definitely people come together to help each other, mm-hmm. but. There is sort of a apprehension and fear driving a lot of what's going on in our country mm-hmm. and, um, and just even in small cities like this. And so there's a lot of, um, well, I want to help, but you just never know. We might need to do a background check first. And, yeah, and there's, really. there's so many checks and balances before we can step in and just help somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just fear. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, fear mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So that's interesting. So that's a big, big difference. Well, you asked me another question. Oh, I, well, one was just that, and initially that cultural change. But the other thing was, how have you changed? Have you changed? Yes, you? Yeah. I have. I'm so okay. First of all, I'm patient. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize how impatient I was until oh, really? I moved there. Oh, I'm so impatient. Oh, you were impatient. I but was. Now you're yes, and so oh, okay. Because like you said in your example is that people may not have done something that way as far as helping the guy who got in, like you flipped his car because they don't have the time. Right. That's not a thing there. Like, I mean, time is obviously a thing there, but um, it is not nearly as important as it is in the West. So you will wait for everything. Mm. Yeah, learn to learn to get comfortable Ooh, with waiting. Everything you rush to wait. That's what my boss says all the time. Yeah, hurry up, and hurry wait. up and wait. I used to say that in the army when I was uh-huh. in the army, and, uh-huh. and oh, it was a- and that's exactly what what you do. You hurry up to get to a certain place because if the if there's no electricity, if there's no lights, then you have to wait for lights to come. But you need to go to this, you know, this federal office or this government office and get this paperwork. But you know you have to wait for such and such to get there because they may be running late for so it just really taught me to be patient and i think i'm more kind Mm. than i was i wasn't like a terribly mean person but i can be spicy sometimes (laughs) (laughs) we can all Uh i can too i know what you mean yeah and um my friend ishaku he he's really helped me with um Focusing on that, not justifying it, but actively wanting to change it, Mm. you know, because I'm the queen of saying that's just how I am. You know, that's that's how I respond to things like that. And so he's really held me accountable to no, you know, you want to be better. Wrestle with this. Yes. Fight it. You know, Um, figure it out. Figure out why, what needs to happen, what needs to change, you know, taking baby steps. Um, Because I I didn't realize how much of a temper I had until I saw some of the things I saw and my initial reaction was to get upset. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand that. Mm -hmm. God, man. And I think he's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's pretty wise because I have to wrestle. If I weren't I've been doing that since I was young, and I'm a, I, and I've failed in many, many <laughs> colossal ways. But I still have to wrestle with myself because mm-hmm. if I weren't wrestling with myself, the things that I wouldn't don't oh, wrestle definitely. with would really be damaging yep. to me and people around me. And they come from just history. They yeah. come from things that you experience and yes. things in your brain, yep. you know. And you go, hey, I got to wrestle with this. Mm-hmm. I have to because mm-hmm. if I don't wrestle with it, that thing gets loose. Yep. And yep. that's not a good thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. it's it's tough. It's hard work. Yeah. I do see. I do talk about that a lot with a lot of people. I say, you know, I look around and I go, man, people aren't wrestling with themselves. Yeah. Enough. Nope. And you I'm know. I'm learning how to I'm learning how to do that. 
especially if it's things that people can't see yeah you know um my thoughts my feelings about myself um i don't wrestle with can i stop right there sure your feelings about if you're willing to share like what do you mean by your feelings about yourself i'm just really insecure are you yes yes i'm really insecure um i'm insecure about my physical self um i'm insecure about whether or not i love people well enough or Mm. whether or not i'm present enough Mm. sometimes i'm insecure about my my work you know my career am i doing what's best for this campus am i training teachers well um Uh, are we doing what we need to do and so i i get really negative toward myself and i don't take praise or encouragement well i get combative and so um all of that just kind of comes out like you said it it, co- it goes out into the world and it affects me and the people around me because i don't wrestle with it do you i mean this is a weird question because you haven't said anything to indicate this but do you fear your own ego yes okay yeah i don't want to be too confident because i don't want to be too confident <laughs> I understand that. And everything you're saying, I'm relating to. And that's why I asked that question, because I actually fear mine. And mm-hmm. not like I'm... It's weird, because it's a, a sneaky devil. I never really thought about it that way. The fear of my own ego. I never uh, thought about it that well, way. But trick. I think that's a, what it is. The ego's a tricky thing. Yeah. It's like, and I talk about it. Sometimes the way I talk about the ego is almost like it's a demon. Like, uh-huh. But that's almost the best way for me to handle it is mm-hmm. because it, it's sneaky. A little bit of praise... And the ego can just take that little bit of and praise go and go berserk. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you think you're somebody and you forget to do the work you need to do yeah. <laughs> yeah. to be better. And because the ego's over there stroking you and you don't mm-hmm. even know it. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, crud, I'm not doing the work. That's happened to me many times in my spiritual life mm-hmm. where I went, oh, I had a little bit of spiritual insight. Oh, mm-hmm. I had a little, had a little mystical experience. Oh, I had a lot of love build up. And, and yeah, I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped doing the practices, the things that are anchors for me. That's actually happened to me recently. Mm-hmm. And I went back. It's funny. I'll tell you exactly what it was. I, one of my favorite people to read is Thomas Merton. And so I did something for, for many years. I, I would read the holy hours where it's like, you know, the, the monks in the monasteries and, and people around the world read the holy hours. And they all read the same thing every day, mm-hmm. Christians all over the world. And it was something special about that for me, like an anchor point. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I know that when I'm reading this at dawn, that there are other people, of people doing it all over the world yeah. that are reading these same prayers, the Psalms, you know. Mm-hmm. And the same ones at the same time. So that was a touch point. But to be honest with you, I got a little, I hate to even say it, but I'm being truthful. I got a little bored with it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I've already read these Psalms a hundred times. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm reading them again. Well, you know, I got my little bit of peace out of that. I don't need to do that anymore. And then the ego starts stroking you. Hey, I'm doing yeah. all right. I'm doing the work. I'm supposed to be doing whatever I'm called to do. You yeah, know, all these yeah. little <laughs> things you get. And then I stop reading them. And then a year passes or a week passes. And then that's a month. And then it's a yeah. year. And about two months ago, I, I don't know what it was, but it was something again from Thomas Merton, who I really talk about all the time. And it just hit me one day when I was sitting out on a country road and just sitting there. I was like, Thomas Merton to me is that that it was an is I have elevated him to sainthood, you know, in my mind and heart. Mm. And I go, you know, he never stopped reading the holy hours, though, even though all I mean, his words just drip with insight and, mm. and prophecy. I mean, he's touched. 
and he never stopped going back to his anchor. Mm-hmm. And I just got this really sort of weird feeling. I was like, and here I am thinking I got a little bit of a mm-hmm. little bit of insight and I don't need to redo that anymore. Mm-hmm. But this man did that his whole life. He always went back to the basic thing. And I was like, I need to go back to this. And I added it back to my morning, my evening. And I was like, ah, it was like mm-hmm. refreshment. And mm-hmm. I went, I, I've got to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. I can't just let my ego tell me I don't need it's this okay. thing. Mm-hmm. Who am I to think I don't need that? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I just yeah. kind of a weird segue, but no. I don't know. Yeah, I wondered about that if you feared it because, mm-hmm. I mean, it can stop you from succeed, from growing. Mm-hmm. And it does. Like you said, you stop doing the things that were pushing you in a direction or helping you to grow and change into whatever it, whatever you're supposed to be you yeah know? but when you stop because you feel like you've done enough because of your ego you kind of you stint that yeah yeah mm-hmm. well how well received uh were you when you first arrived i mean in, uh, as far as bringing you into the culture i mean because are there other people too that's another question that are also educators from other parts of the world um they're not educators oh um, okay the rest of our team is it's only it's four of us. Oh, okay. From from the states. Oh, okay. Everybody else there is uh, local. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, all wow. of the okay. other staff, all of everybody. That's else. Interesting. Yeah, uh, they were really intentional about it not being uh, American ah. focused. So yeah, all of the teachers are Nigerian. The students, the staff, the okay. trainees, everything. But the other four are, are American. from. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Yes, that, that was the situation. Um. And they're older, so the couple is in their 60s, I think, and uh, my boss is in her mid-70s. Wow. And then me. That's interesting. (laughs) Okay, see, I guess I'm I'm trying to paint a picture, and it's interesting. So you didn't, like, arrive, and there was sort of, like, this segue where it's like, are you going to familiarize you, and then... no. no. So you're just uh, boots on the ground, yeah, right out yeah. the flame. And like trying to figure out and move your way through building new relationships, um, building relationships with the team, building relationships with the children, you know, wanting them to trust me, but knowing that they have no reason to. You know what I mean? I was just another face. And mm. having grown up in an orphanage, they saw missionaries all their lives come in for maybe a year or so and then they go back. Oh. So they, they can be really, really open or really guarded. You know, they let it all out because they see the opportunity to be free again until whenever they leave or they keep it all in because they don't want that. They don't want to have done that and uh, then it be gone. That's sort of so, like, yeah, relationships. You're yeah. just like, oh, I've opened up and now uh-huh. they're gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So there was, there was really no middle ground with the children. Uh, some of them are just now getting comfortable with me. And the other half of them have loved me since I got there. So it's just, it, those dynamics were just different based on their experience. Yeah. So, have you experienced that because of that where people, I guess the children have experienced this people coming in their lives and leaving mm-hmm. when you arrive and coming to their, to their life a lot like your first day, mm-hmm. you know, as a mm-hmm. high school teacher was there that like, oh, well, you know, she may not be here a while. Yeah. Um, um, yes, warm, yeah. definitely. But with them, um, the exceptionality is that 
all of the missionaries who had served there were white American. Oh. Um, so for most of those students, I was the first or maybe second black American really? they'd ever seen. Yes. So I was like, you know. I was interesting. Yeah, I, um, well, I find that interesting. I actually. thought it was really interesting too. I was talking to my mentor today about it, and I was telling her that that was really surprising to me. Yeah. You know, they um, they had this sense of beauty that they saw in Western civilization uh-huh. that they saw in blonde hair and blue eyes, and I'm fairly confident. You know, I'm, I'm not like boisterous or prideful, but I love my skin and I love my kinky hair and <laughs> I I loved I love myself um until I don't. And so well, but I, I know what you're, I know where us, you're going, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And yeah. so that was so new to them, you know, or when I talk to them and I'll be like, Oh my goodness, your skin is so beautiful, they'd be like, Auntie, stop, you know, they just didn't believe it. Wow. Um and so that is where a lot of my relationships with the children started is that learning how to love myself better while simultaneously trying to teach them how to love themselves helped me accountable to loving myself more fully because so you can't fake that yeah you know? man this is interesting i mean hearing you say this stuff so i guess it's things i just don't know and i guess it comes from just being living in the west so so these these young people in Nigeria, from what I'm understanding, and tell me if I'm getting this wrong, don't see the value in their in their skin and the way they appear because there's this perception that from the in the West that whiteness and blonde is. hair and uh-huh. blue eyes. And how, I how do they receive that information? That's fascinating. So how would, mm. how do they receive that information? I mean, the media, the same really? way we do. Oh, yeah, okay, commercials, okay. advertisements, product TV. advertisement, oh, things like that. It's all still got that one of the things oh, that's oh, like so a bestseller there that I'm finding is uh, skin bleach. Like women spend I millions saw a of documentary Naira. about this in India for to bleach their skin yeah um and that's one of the things that kids would tell me for a while when i first got there nc we love your skin you're so fair and i'm like i'm not fair um but my brothers are much lighter than i am so i guess i inadvertently compared my skin to theirs but i was just like i'm not but compared to most of our kids i am and that's just a a thing there people spend that is like a million dollar industry there is skin bleaching and what is and is it just to i've seen this thing and again and i hate to bring that up again but in india where in the filming in the film industry they were saying that they will not get jobs if they're too dark and they do this whole bleach all these bleaching applications and and medications and cream yeah just to get these roles because they won't hire them if they're Mm. not God. Yes. And so that that exists in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I'm sure it's different. It's in different degrees in different places. I can only speak for what I saw in that, you know, no, in yeah, that city. Sure, and sure. so, um, no, but it was prevalent. Like the biggest bulletin boards, the biggest advertisements uh, from what I've seen are for things like that. Um, straightening, hair straightening, relaxers, wigs um, of straight wavy hair um it's just common so i can understand i could understand why the girls 
specifically the girls, were struggling just to see beauty when they saw themselves. So when I got there, and this is not like a stroke my ego kind of thing, but like I said, I was one of the first, if not the first, um, black Americans they'd ever seen. And I, my hair was natural and, um, and I didn't bleach my skin. You know, even like wearing lighter makeup, that's something I saw a lot there. They get makeup like three or four shades lighter. Really? Um, I didn't do that. And so they, the kids notice those things and they'd be like, Auntie, why don't you? Why don't you? Oh. I'm like, well, because I, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that I'm just fine like this, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so, but like I said, it helped me accountable to believing what I was saying to them, you know, like, are right. you really okay? Like, do you really love this, this and that about you? And if not, don't say that because yeah. now you're just being dishonest. Right. And so it was really, that was reciprocity there. Um, they held me accountable not knowing that they were. And I was still able to serve them in truth. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's interesting. I didn't know any of that, I yeah. guess, existed. I mean, you know, I know in our country, in, in America right now, there's a lot of talk about white privilege mm. and, and it gets so many people upset. But mm -hmm. when I, I sit and meditate on that, I, I say this all the time. I mean, the majority of what I have in my life came from just luck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I look at my other human brothers and sisters across this whole planet. And when I see them suffering, I go, well, the reason I'm not suffering is just sheer luck. Mm -hmm. It's just where I was born in, in the circumstances of my life. I got lucky. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I tell I told my wife this the other day. The, I watch a lot of videos of law enforcement, you know, the disproportionate mm. negative treatment of black Americans when they get pulled over some mm. of these traffic stop videos. And I, I tell my wife, I said, the truth of the matter is, is that if I got pulled over in the same situation, that wouldn't happen to me mm -hmm. only because I was born as a white man. Mm hmm. I have no, but the sad thing for me is that I have no control over that. That mm. didn't, I did not choose that. And that is mm. so unfair in this world that the simple luck of your circumstances determines how mm. you're treated as a human being and how you value yourself, you know? And mm. I hate, I, it really makes me sad hearing that, hearing stories like that because mm. I just go, man, there's so many other dimensions to a human being and we have, and, and people feel that their appearance I don't know I don't even know how to really articulate no, what I'm I, saying it just it kind of breaks my heart honestly yeah. that yeah, that exists it, and, and knowing that that's yes a lean it, towards a lightness and whiteness means better somehow mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I don't know I never I never had those I've never had those thoughts in my life and I don't know mm -hmm. why because I didn't I mean I grew up with people around people who mm -hmm. maybe did have those thoughts but I never felt like that I just felt God we're just people mm -hmm. I mean isn't this what people mm -hmm. isn't this just the way we all are we're all just different and that's mm -hmm. okay isn't that good that we're all different shouldn't we celebrate them and, and be more interested in that yeah. and fascinated by each other than to I don't know, weigh one against the other and say, this is bad yeah. and this is good. It's just sad. Mm. I don't know. It makes me a little sad to hear no, that, that's, that that exists over it, there. It was really sad to watch unfold, you know, um, because it it was just sad to watch unfold. That's just what it was. Yeah. Um, and wanting to help and show them their beauty, 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It was it was it was it was challenging. And to be able um, for you to use just your presence alone and, and that makes it interesting to me because then you probably something that here you would have been like, you know, putting your makeup on or what makeup choice you made didn't really matter. Didn't matter. But mm-hmm. there you're going, Hey, how I'm presenting myself is a symbol and it's mm-hmm. also motivating to them. You're educating, mm-hmm. helping build value and worth in people. It was completely it was it like I said, it really just changed the dynamic of relationship building with the kids. Yeah. It was, I had to be reflective every day. Yeah. I had to go home and be like, okay, what did I do? How did I talk to myself today? You know, because those kinds of things, whether or not we wanted to, they pour out. Yeah. They pour out. And so I, I had to wrestle with myself and my insecurities a lot in the beginning. And I didn't really know that's what I was doing. And I'm happy. I hate to pause the program, but I want to ask you something. Did you know that you can help me and my team at Parker Brand Creative Services grow the Find the Good News signal? For less than a fancy cup of coffee, you can become an Early Risers Club patron on our Patreon page. What's Patreon? Well, it's a way for creators to fund their projects by pooling support from those really passionate people that believe in what they're doing. Do you believe in what we're doing with Find the Good News? I hope you do. We believe that there's already enough negative news in the world, even right here at home, and that good people doing good works deserve a platform to speak from to. That's why we created Find the Good News, and we believe in that simple mission. Maybe you believe in it too. If you do believe in finding and sharing good news, then head over to our Patreon page right now or check out the link in the show description. For a commitment of $3.33 a month, you can join the Early Risers Club of Find the Good News Patreon supporters and get access to The B-Sides, a patrons-only podcast with the crew behind Find the Good News, Parker Brand Creative Services. Each time we level up, the Patreon rewards will get bigger. If you're tired of old news, bad news, and fake news, help support Find the Good News at patreon.com slash news. That's patreon.com slash find the good news now back to the episode so i got a question and we've only barely touched on it a little bit but um so what what has your spiritual life been like and how has that changed um in in the context of your new situation grown has it changed in in any uh have you experienced new things i didn't realize how faithless i could be oh interesting um with change when i would just lose myself mm. in, in like grief or sorrow or, uh, or fear fear oh, mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and so it it gave me a this first year has given me a really honest picture of where my faith was versus where i thought it was oh it's interesting that you say that because I think that it's in those situations where you're faced with hard things that you, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah. you find out what the metal it's made out of. Uh-huh. I, I totally uh-huh. get that. I've had things happen. We, yeah. we all have things yeah. to whatever degree or another where you just go, or, or things that you think uh, only happened to other people. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you told yourself that at one point in your life and then it happens. And yeah. you go, oh, this is that thing that yep. I said I can't Wouldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. What 
what you find out is, yeah, what what you really are clinging to. Mm-hmm. Where's your real hope lie? Yep. You know, or is it just a bunch of words? And it was all in myself. Like yeah. my my faith was so much in myself. What I do was, you mean? Um, I was fully dependent on myself oh, to provide, okay. protect, to just to to get through. Mm. And so when things like that happened, and I couldn't because I wasn't supposed to. It, it just kind of gave my idolatry a face that I knew uh, it was me. You yeah, know, yeah. I knew that I put myself on that pedestal, even if it was unintentionally. Yeah, right. And she crumbled, you know, yeah. because she wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> oh, wow. I like and that. So, That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. The way you said that. Yeah. Idolize. We yeah. there's that ego thing mm-hmm. again, built mm-hmm. up a little paper man. Not even realizing. You know? it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you feel like in that, so has it, has that strengthened your? Definitely. It has because I'm, I'm finding myself now in a place where I can just say, um, I'm confident in whatever God's will may be. And I'm confident in his ability to help me through whether or not his will is mine, Mm. you know? Um, and I just wasn't there before. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. So what was that? Okay, so what was your if I'm prying too much, tell no, me. It's uh, okay. What was your spiritual like life like life? I said that completely <laughs> backwards. <laughs> Two words. Okay, let me say that again. What was your spiritual life like here in the States? Or maybe even not just your spiritual life, but your religious life too. Mm-hmm. If you went to church, what did yeah. what did that look like here? And now what does it look like over there? Because I mean you said yeah. earlier that you go to church and I was just curious like what the situation uh-huh. is with that. Well, it was I guess the word to describe it was a bit more commercial here. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I went to church on Sundays and we sang and, you know, then we went to lunch. You know, yeah. I went to church on Sundays. Yeah, sure. I get it. Yeah. Um, but there, it's like <laughs> during the rainy season, I go to church and I'm walking about 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. And if it rains, we have to move over into like a goat shed and get in the goat shed so we don't get wet. Um in church uh, we may or may not have electricity so the microphones may or may not work when they're singing um it may be in Hausa, it may be in english depends on you know which service i make it to in time so but my desire to be there um spiritually my desire to have that community um on Sundays or for Bible studies and things like that is much more intense than it was here. Really? And I think because here it was more accessible. Oh, I you know, you. I knew I could jump in my car and go to church on Sunday. So if I didn't want to go, I didn't go. Yeah. I knew Bible study was going to be every Monday night, but if I didn't want to go, I just didn't go. Um, yeah. But there it's like, no, I really want to be there and yeah. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get there because it fills me and yeah. I'm able to worship God. And, you know, it just that in, I think intensity is the biggest difference is more intensity. Okay. I'm much more intense about um, and intentional about pursuing the things of the Lord mm. um, about having even if it's like. If I'm supposed to have a Bible study with a couple of the girls and I'm just exhausted, I'm still going to go down to the cottages and say, "Okay, let's talk. Let's reflect. Let's pray. Let's do something. Even if I can't stay there for two hours. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Right. And so I I just I wasn't doing that before. 
not not like I was a heathen before. Like no, I, I, I love that. God. I love scripture. I love those things. Um, but like I said, it was a bit more commercial, and I wasn't as intentional about having that genuine authentic time yeah that's interesting i I can relate to that it kind of makes me think about what i shared earlier about the holy hours you know i think Mm. now i thought this the other morning when i was reading it using my breviary and going through it it's a complicated book i mean for some people they don't they get a breviary and they go i don't even understand how i don't know what a breviary is yeah it's it's a the holy hours book so basically it's like that that's it's organized based on every single day of the year and you basically repeat the cycle okay annually and but the way it's organized you have to really flip through it and like okay, okay. in the morning i'm gonna read uh these psalms and then there's a prayer associated with that and those might be on a certain page but then it'll say now because of the season you're in you go to the front of the book and the the scripture readings that belong with it are here oh, okay, okay you might read those same psalms multiple times throughout the year okay but it but depending on what time of year it is they'll have a different scripture reading that okay uh, a, a gospel reading i would say okay or old testament reading that goes with it okay. you know and it's so that weird because of the psalms sort of get built into you after mm-hmm, a while mm-hmm. But the readings will change. Okay. It's a little complicated. I mean, Mm -hmm. it can be daunting. And so I guess the reason I say all that is one morning I was didn't feel like it mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds so fickle no we really do it i was like we, oh, i just don't feel don't like it, it. Uh-huh. i just, like, just want to just uh, whatever <laughs> and just sit here and wake up literally you know? do nothing do nothing, nothing. Productive. but i, I made myself uh-huh. and that morning as i was flipping through it and under like going okay this is the next page and i was kind of half in and half out to be honest and but it hit me i was like all the the thousand years or so that it took and the work it took to organize all of this into these beautiful mm. seasonal structure and here i am going oh, i don't, I don't do feel this. like yeah. it but it's ancient mm-hmm. i don't know i just kind of felt like i laughed at myself honestly i was mm-hmm. like god how freaking soft i mm-hmm. am you know Mm-hmm. I'm just like you said. I said I'm just gonna do it. Just gonna do it, even mm-hmm. though I don't feel like it, because it's it's an anchor point, you know. And and, and just give some respect to all the work, the history mm-hmm. that can that's just sitting in this little book that I take for granted, yes. or that I'm taking for granted. Even a Bible. I mean, just yeah. to have a Bible and go. There are people wow. in the world who have to hide them, right? Yes, they have definitely. to sneak them in and hide them. And yes. here I am going. Oh, I don't know I, if I'm uh-huh. gonna read. I don't feel like reading scriptures. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. No, yes. <laughs> I know, yes. <laughs> yep. And I mean, those things were more common. That that would happen for me more often. Not that it doesn't happen there. I'm not like well, yeah, perfect we are, right, there. Yeah. You know, I obviously right. still have days when I'm like, I don't feel like going to church. Uh, you know, but right. <laughs> or whatever the case may be. Um but like I said, I can I can see the change clearly. Yeah. You know, um, like being willing to or eager to risk whatever just so I can walk to church with the kids and experience that time with the kids or going down to the cottages or anything like that. I, I don't I know I wasn't that insistent mm-hmm. before. Are there um I'm, I'm assuming there's Christianity sounds like it's the main 
religion. Muslim really is. Uh, the Muslim okay. faith is much more uh, prevalent. In the compound as well? Oh, no. The compound is Christian. Christian. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I was just And curious. even the surrounding village is primarily Christians. Like the church that I go to. Is it? It says about 30 minutes away, but it's a Christian church. Huh. And there are other churches in that village. Um but the, the two religions that are most prevalent are Christianity and the Muslim faith. Are they? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was curious about that. I wondered if there was a multi, you know, cultural religious mm. element in work mm. in the community. I just didn't know. I really yeah, don't have no. any kind of working framework. No, to know. it's okay. Uh, that's, that's, that's the bulk of it. Yeah. You know, we could go to the park and see um, people out on their mats yeah. doing their prayers during the day. That's probably uh, interesting, though, coming mm. from this community. Right? It was. It was. It took me a while to get used to it. I mean, I'm used to it now, but it did take me a while to get used to it. Is there a good relationship between Christians and Muslims? uh, I haven't seen any tiffs or anything. Yeah. I haven't seen any problems. No. Well, that's good. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't tension. You know, there may be. And you know, I talk to I talk to people in the community who are Muslim all the time. Yeah. The market that I prefer is the Muslim market. You know. Yes. All of my. Now, like why? The, why is that? I don't know. I just do. It's the, more, the goods, the wares, yeah, all of that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I do. Um, and the relationship building. Hmm. Um, not that the Christian market is terrible, <laughs> but <laughs> I really do love building relationships with people in the Muslim market. Yeah. And it's not like I'm going there every weekend and preaching the gospel at them. That's not right. it. They know I'm Christian. I know they're Muslim. If I go on Sunday, I'm talking to them about what we talked about in church um if i go after i read something or god showed me something i will have those conversations with them mm-hmm. and they welcome it you know and yeah. so it's just really so that's beautiful it really is that's the way i, I it really is that ecumenical um, approach mm-hmm. is uh, um, it fascinates me and i find a lot of joy in that especially mm-hmm. the discovery of when you talk to somebody that practices something different than you and you find something in common you mm-hmm. go oh wow so you're you're doing this you're reading this scripture mm-hmm. you're practicing this way but it's generating these really beautiful human qualities mm-hmm. well then you know you take another faith that's doing something totally different and mm-hmm. it's generating the same qualities i love that it's mm-hmm. just a wonderful thing i wish mm-hmm. we could all just do that it, hel- it really it helps me to um be confident in the truth, you know, um, and to just say it boldly mm. without reservation. Yeah. Um, because like I said, they're not like walking around wanting me to stop talking about it. But right. um, it, it really just opens the door for really authentic relationships. And yeah. so I can be a picture of the gospel um, without having or without saying a verbatim oh i like script that. or the anything you know what i mean they see it they see it yeah and so and i pray for them you know i pray for their salvation and i pray for um them to see that and desire it and then i go back to the market the next day and we we have that relationship and yeah. so it's it's been nice. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like what you said there. You get to, for them to see it, mm-hmm. 
You know, that's so important because we can just say it all day long and we can you know quote scripture all day long. But if people don't see that, it bears no weight. Yeah, and to see that it's transformative too, that to me is a high value that one of my guests, she said the way she put it, she was like, you want people to look at you and go, hey, I want, I want to, I want whatever they have. Mm -hmm. I want whatever they're, whatever's making their life that we're making them be that way. I want that. That's what you want. The kind of life you want to live. Mm. Not not for your sake, so they can pat you on the back and tell you how good you are. But so people go, hey, this is affecting your life. This, yep. is cha- this has made a change. I want some of that. Mm. You know, whatever that is. It's kind of a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I know I'm, I'm probably got a thousand more questions. I'm going to kind of lead us into the end here. <laughs> you, uh, what, what is a, what does a day in your life look like on a, you know, commonly? Okay. Over That's there. the easy one. Yeah. I'm really, I'm, I'm I want to know how many people are really going to listen to me talk about this on stuff. this show. Yeah. I'm going to push it out there. <laughs> we got like 13,000 listeners. <laughs> So all over the country too, really? and in the world too. Yeah, that's awesome. Most of it's along the Gulf Coast, but oh, I mean, no, we've got listeners, and awesome. we've got some listeners in Africa. I'd have to look and see if there's any in Nigeria. That's awesome. But people do listen. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'm a mess. Yeah, are you a mess? <laughs> I'm a mess. Oh, come okay, on. okay. So, uh, a typical day. I wake up around four thirty. Pretty riser. Yeah, I am. I wake up around four thirty. I usually read my Bible or journal, mm. um, or read something. Yeah. Um, I try. I try to write though. Um, I try to get to work by six thirty. School doesn't open until s- the teachers have to come. My teachers have to be to work by seven thirty. Okay. But I try to get there at six thirty because the sun rises at six thirty and I can see it from my office window. Oh, how nice is that? Oh. So I try to leave my house by like six twenty or something. I live on the compound. It's not like a far walk or anything. Yeah. And so like I rush from my house to my office. I um I have a teapot in my office now, so I make tea, I bring my book, and I just watch the sunrise in my office. Uh, I pray for my teachers, I pray for the kids. I just have that quiet, yeah. you know, sacred um, time. But I'm already at work, so I don't have to rush to get there, and so it just it changes the way my mornings go when I start them off that way, and then we go to school. Wow. <laughs> And then so yeah. classes, how long? How long is the day? Um, Normal. The like? teachers come at 730. They leave at four. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a it's a lot like the American schedule, oh, but it's okay. because they have so many classes. And this uh, is Monday through Friday or is mm-hmm. it? Uh, Monday through Friday. OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so weekends are like what? Oh, well, Friday, they get out on at 12 on Fridays. Oh, they have it's a half, a half day. day every Friday. Every Friday. Every Friday. And so what's that time used like <laughs> that half day? Like what's that? Is well, the kids in the village. Um. Our resident children, I mean, they clean up, they play outside, they play soccer, basketball, whatever. They really, they just have that time. That's great mm-hmm. to just have a good time. Mm-hmm. Imagine getting a half day every Friday. Yeah, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I'd like that as an adult, <laughs> you know. So your day, so you have a half day too then, yeah? No, I'm no, On I'm Friday? There. So the teachers stay all day? And uh, the, the teachers, when do I, they usually get out around three. Okay. Because we have in-service on Friday. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Every Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then what's a weekend like? I mean, so if you're not working, what's what's a weekend I go to like? town. I love being in town. Like yeah. I said, I love going to the markets. I love finding different places to eat or buy fabric, uh, you know, things like that, because 
those things aren't really expensive and um it's a good way to build relationships yeah patronizing so i i try to find the little shops you know not like the big there are some pretty big businesses like there are some shops that you can tell they're doing really well Mm. so i try to find a more hole in the wall you know and just kind of becoming a part of it and yeah so that's what that's what i end up doing on my weekends yeah and mm-hmm. that, that's interesting you're so you're kind of an explorer a little bit oh, of a definitely. Wanderer. i am too definitely mm-hmm. that's a vacation for and me and it's it's so it's frustrating sometimes because i can't always do it because i'm a woman you know no, oh, and really? i'm by myself it's so unsafe so, a little yeah, bit yeah it oh, can okay. be um like not being out at night that's that's oh, not a thing really uh, unless in groups even uh, or is it i like mean just... sure but even still really uh-huh no how why i'm, I'm bad i don't know why no, so what's fine. the main reason um, i mean for like robberies oh. kidnapping hey that's happening um here too, yeah so i know that. i've been i've been hearing that yeah it's crazy yeah um there are some cults in the area and to me cults are a lot like gangs here so Cults. You know, they they sacrifice people for the sake of their leadership. Really? Mm-hmm. That ex- God, man. That exists. <laughs> wild. And that's okay. what I said. It was like, it was like what? Yeah, somebody you just know? tells you, oh, there's a cult and they it's sacrifice a, people. And I, like, what are you what? talking about? But that's it fear. happened. It 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 happens. It had happened a few times um, since I've been there. You know, there was a murder in the market, and I'm like, well, what happened? It's just like. No, the cult did it for whatever reason. That is um, wild. I mean, man. And then that's just it. They and it's never not from what I can tell or from what I've heard from people that I talk to about it. It's not like they pinpoint certain people. It's just like whoever walks out of that building. You yeah, know what I mean? Because it has nothing to do with mm-hmm, the person. It's mm-hmm. not personal. It's a it's a part it's of a their sacrifice. Sac- that is yeah. wild. Very very. Um, tribal yeah mm-hmm. it's, it sounds tribal it sounds old too yeah, like yeah. some old throat uh-huh. some stuff that's yeah died out in a lot of parts of the world but that's Not just that. in certain places uh-huh. just hanging and it's on. and you get that and then that weird mix of still modern the you know the modernity is still there but then that's still there and it's happening all at the same time yeah. it's just it's a lot is crime i mean managed well there i mean or is it kind of just different no it's not it's not it's not managed well really no yeah i don't know a lot about it so i don't i I don't think so you don't think so i mean like you can tell it just just, yeah it just seems like it happens and you just kind of pick up the pieces and just move on Mm -hmm. wow or people they seek out their own like retribution a lot is that kind of a thing there yeah Mm -hmm. man that's interesting Mm. so how long is your is this journey going to be for you? I mean, does it have a limit to it, or is this as long as you want to continue? As long as I want to continue, from what I can wow. tell. I, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. really do. How often do you come home? This to, is my to, first time coming oh, home. Oh, this is your first a, time? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, thanks for taking some of that time to come do this. Of course. <laughs> I was going to try my best to get you on the show, whatever it took. I didn't, you know, <laughs> Skype, whatever. Time, no. Do you get to do that with your family, like Skype and Yeah, video we, chats I mean, and we FaceTime. Like you okay. know, I can usually go to some hub or something in town. Okay. We have Wi-Fi in our compound, so okay, great. I can use FaceTime to stay in contact with my family. And we're like almost polar opposites as far as time goes, right? Yes. So your evening is what our morning. Is it right? now it is five o'clock here so it's almost it's about 
11 15 there wow because i know when we finally started getting to chat i was like okay it was morning where i was mm-hmm. at night where you were at <laughs> uh-huh. or something was flip-flopped I was yeah, like, it okay. is flipped i was like we're gonna have to do this how are we gonna do this <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it was good that you were coming home though yeah I, oh yeah i love it yeah and you know i me and my brother joked about it yesterday i kept saying i'm back like i never left but like it really feels like i never left does you it know, feel that way it's home yeah. it feels like home and so um, like I didn't skip a beat. It definitely doesn't feel like I haven't been here in a year. You yeah. Know? Like just driving around town. I had no problem finding the studio. You know, oh, like yeah. little things like that. Um, I saw, you know, like they fixed the bridge. Yeah. I saw that's the been an ongoing there. thing. Yeah. I the saw bridge. On Facebook people are not happy. Complaining. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like a uh-huh. while, while. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, you know, things like that. Um, I went to the mall today with my brother. I was like, man, I hadn't been to a mall. He was like, okay, well, let's go. And I was there for, like, five minutes. And I was like, yeah, it's the same. Let's you, leave. You're done. <laughs> well, like, probably, Walmart. Yeah, I can imagine that's probably, it's probably not stimulating. No, yeah. no. How so, long are you back for? I leave in January. Oh, wow. January. So you got a pretty good haul here in a couple of weeks. January 4th, I think. Yeah, a few weeks. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah and I'm coming back in March to to have more time to do things like this yeah you know like i said uh i'm meeting with you and i'm going to see somebody else tomorrow uh for something similar to this but i had a few other people contact me and i just i had to say no yeah. you know because i really want to spend time with my family yeah. well i'm i'm honored that you took oh, this no, time ex- i really <laughs> i was hoping because you have excited. come up a few times uh i had justin and emily martindale on oh. the show and Those they, are my friends. They brought you up. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a few different folks. And yeah. I was like, you know, I maybe maybe I can work it out. Yeah, no, of course. I was excited. Yeah. I didn't even know if you were going to remember no. that. Video. Once you told me about it, it made, you know, because I... I remembered you asking those questions. Uh, yeah. No. Did you ever watch that video? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you were, if you go, if you go back and watch, it's still on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're in those key moments mm-hmm. there. You okay, said now something. I have to watch it that way. Yeah, that was you. I never got to talk to you again. Yeah. But yeah I mean, you were the. You were those the nodes, you know, like, mm. okay, she said this. I'm going to build everything else around mm. what she said. Okay. Hi. And then you're the, you're the beginning and the end of the whole thing. I am. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you probably didn't know that. No, that, I that mean, was, yeah. No, no. That's interesting. That's awesome. You said something way back at the beginning of the conversation um, about, you know, being a mother to that child and how she said, mm-hmm. Sarah, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Sarah's, and Shaquilla, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so being a mother in that regard and then uh i remember in that video talking to one of the students and i can't remember his name but he made a comment about that about being a teacher Mm -hmm. and about how there's a lot of kids who don't have that parent at Mm -hmm. home or they don't have a support system at Mm -hmm. home he said and a teacher a good teacher trey it was trayvon yeah did you see him do you know who lizzo is yeah lizzo yeah their band is in her music video. Are you serious? Uh-huh. Oh my gosh! I'm He's go a drum watch major, it. the drum major for Southern University. You've got to be. And kidding they're me. in her music video. No, but that's who you're talking about. It was Trayvon. He said he that. He was the student of the year. Uh-huh. Okay. He and Boy. I did the video together. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Y'all were probably. I think I filmed y'all in the same. Yeah, we were uh, in, in the, the library. library. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Well, okay. Well, then yeah. you got to hear what he said yeah. that day. Yeah. Yeah. He he talked about that, and it mm-hmm. was t- he he also was one of those individuals that just mm-hmm. like. 
you go, man, he's got something. He's mm-hmm. got something special about him. There's a light inside. Mm-hmm. And his words were just sticky. And I, yeah. I remember that, him talking about that, yeah. about that value. And again, I'm, I'm emotional or empathic or whatever. And I was just, my heart, when it opens, it's just, mm-hmm. I can feel it. I have to hide that mm-hmm. when I'm filming because uh-huh. I don't want to get the person upset. Mm-hmm. Some people are sympathetic criers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so I'm going, oh gosh, don't cry. But he's, he's getting in my heart oh, yeah, right he, now, yeah. man. Yeah. But because I've had teachers like that, and mm-hmm. I've, I've been blessed with this particular show to have talked to several of the teachers that I that have affected my life. That's you know? awesome. And I still there's one teacher I bring him up sometimes. He was murdered when I was in high school, and he affected my life in a big way. And I never, I never really got to tell him because yeah. I, I remember I've told this story before, but. Uh, I guess I've always been a people watcher, and I never really had a relationship with him, but it was just something about the way he managed himself and the mm. class and the way he dealt with conflict, mm. especially troubled kids in the class that were disruptive. The mm. way he had power, but it was like graceful and peaceful mm. at the same time, and I was like, his presence was so... I never thought of him as aggressive, mm-hmm. but somehow he used this this like almost um, robust love mm-hmm. and peace to somehow get these kids in alignment. And I just I don't know. I took that away from his class. He was my algebra teacher, but it, like yeah. that was my takeaway. It wasn't yes. the algebra. It was that. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, I drew a picture of Jesus for him and. Uh, the last day of school, I went in his classroom. And he was doing something, and I think he was a little like, "Why are you bringing me this?" Because uh-huh. he didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it, I, the scripture I put on there was, "What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light," because I, it captured the way I felt about him. Like mm-hmm. you don't really know how I feel in the darkness about you, mm-hmm. but I want to tell you mm-hmm. in the daylight. And so I gave him that. And then the next year, he was murdered while he mm-hmm. was running one night. Uh, they had some a guy shot him and mm-hmm. you know i just i think about the value of what kind of what you said about um the way you have to manage yourself and handle yourself because you know you're you're also you're not just teaching them in the classroom you're teaching mm-hmm. them by your presence mm-hmm. it just reminded me of him because mm-hmm. he didn't know yeah he was teaching me math but he was teaching me by his presence yeah. you know and I, I still i think of him often Mm. You know, that that value of what he taught in that presence. Yes. You know, just the way he was, not necessarily mm. anything he that, said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so anyway, I, that that that's of high value, I guess. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. And seeing that in you, you know, and hearing you mm. tell, share those things. Thank you. And I'm happy. I know. This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. 
Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the Sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the Sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. Well, this is the part of the show that you mentioned. Oh, you're looking at it. <laughs> we call this part of the show Fishing for Goodies. Okay. And so everybody who listens knows about the fishbowl. So the fishbowl is part, this part where I give up my questions and okay. they're coming out of here now okay so what each guest has done is draws three things just dig in there deep and get three either cards or slips of paper okay and then it's going to ask you questions and we'll talk about them okay <laughs> <laughs> get get in there one at a time one or? at a time or you can draw them all three no, if you I'm want to do one at a time oh y'all can hear it oh yeah you can hear a little bit of that shuffling and dramatics Oh my goodness, that's so random. <laughs> well, gosh, can't wait okay. to hear it. It says, describe a typical day from your high school experience. Oh, well, that's kind of relevant because yeah. we're in education. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, so what was it like for you? I mean, you became a teacher, but yeah. I mean, so what was like school like for yeah, you? Yeah, I went to Sulphur High. I didn't know uh -huh. that. I did. I graduated well, 2010. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I went to Sulphur High too. Yeah. yeah. But I graduated in 1992. Uh, there you so, go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a typical day from your high school experience. I liked school. I was a good kid. You know, I mean, I didn't, it wasn't really anything special. I loved most of my teachers. Um, so you could always see me in the hallway with a couple of my friends just kind of talking with the teachers, clowning, enjoying. You know, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed school. Um, and I've always liked to learn, you know. I did the CNA program, okay. so we would go to the nursing home in the afternoons toward the end of my senior year. Nice. I loved that. That that really sticks out to me. Um, and just having really good friendships. Yeah. I, I really liked high school. Did you I have did. any teachers at Sulphur or throughout your life that were affected? On, that Definitely Miss Benoit, Lori Benoit. Really? Mm -hmm. What did she teach? She taught English. English, yeah. <laughs> English. Uh, I don't even remember grade. I think she taught me in 10th grade, but I always ended up in her classroom. Really? She was just really maternal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and honest and just true you beyond know? just teaching you yes, English. Yes, definitely, definitely. She saw us. She could, you know, she saw us, mm -hmm. and so I, I, like you were saying earlier on, I felt seen by her. Um, 
So I felt safe with her. And so she was able to mold and encourage and teach and edify. And I received it. Yeah. You know, because I felt that freedom in her. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. no, there's something special about having a teacher like no, that. No, really. That just goes across the, just beyond the textbook. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So and you remember them. You, you do you remember, remember them. Oh, they it's live great. forever in your heart. Uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, there's no doubt. Okay, that's one. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. I love Miss Benoit. Oh, I want slip of paper. Have you ever let someone win an argument, even if you knew you were right? If so, who? Ooh, that's an interesting oh, question. <laughs> Have you ever let someone win an argument? Even though you knew you were right, if so, who? It's interesting because I mean, it takes I, a lot of humility. It does. I've done it though. You just have? To, oh yeah, maybe not an argument, but uh, just a situation. I've probably just went. You know what? It's not even worth. Is this it. worth the conflict? I don't think I have. <laughs> told you i was spicy you said that you said that i cannot think of a time i have what's something that you've gotten an argument about where you were like no i'm passionate about this and i'm telling you the what that you're wrong is there anything like that for you like a pet peeve where it's like oh nope i gotta correct you on this is there something like that because i mean a lot some people have things like that they're like i'm i can deal with a lot but like this i'm correcting if i hear somebody say something i think in school really when people are like no the classroom is supposed to be formal and they should be learning and all of that you know relationships talking that you know because there are some old school teachers who are just like i'm not doing that i come in to teach the lesson and listen to the lesson they copy the notes and that's just it Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) so i guess things like that i'll i'll never fold (laughs) yeah you're like ninth the way i'm doing it that's not it that's not it yeah yeah i got some stuff like that i don't know what but i mean yeah I'm ridiculous. That's a good one. I like that. I like that you just, but Tate, hey, you're on, you're being honest. Yeah, I, I am mean, being you know, honest. I, mean, you I can't have made think of a time I've done that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's this one? This one feels different. No, I don't want that one. I didn't see it, y'all. I was just talking. Oh, these are would you rather cards. Okay, would you rather be a doctor or be a teacher? Definitely what a in teacher. The world, man. <laughs> crazy that you actually to, to draw relevant questions sometimes that happens to really? people yeah and i go <laughs> of all the things in there it's actually like pinpointing oh your... it asks why okay so that's my would you rather would you rather be a doctor or a teacher why i would rather be a teacher um because in both capacities healing is an option Mm. and um a doctor can do it physically but a teacher can do it physically mentally emotionally spiritually Mm. um and and i think that that's where i would be more effective yeah is being able to interact with the people that i encounter you know doctors of course they do you know to some capacity surgeons don't you become a body on the bed essentially and so um they fall in love with the science of it they fall in love with the concepts but i I really i fall in love with the person and i'll be able to express that being a teacher 
What's weird about that <laughs> card is you've already made this decision in your life uh-huh. to some degree because yeah. being a, a, a vet, vet. Oh, a vet, my goodness. Yes. I didn't even think I about that. I was like, that. well, I mean, a vet is an animal doctor. <laughs> so, I mean, doctor. you've already actually, that's a weirdest thing. Oh, I got to take a picture of this one. Isn't that something? That's crazy. I know. I was going, wow, she actually already made this choice. That exact. She pulled a card that has her. My big, life on it. Your big. Yeah. Like a big hinge. <laughs> I mean, that was life. a big like, oh, you know, I'm make this big decision yeah that's 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 wild that was fun yeah well there is one more question it's not in the fishbowl okay that yellow mug right there okay that belongs to you now since you've been on the show the stickers that i've been playing (laughs) (laughs) on the back of that mug there's like one more question did anything good happen today did anything good happen yes 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 this this was and good? i'm not just being like oh, well, cheesy no, okay, you know well, good but being able to even though well you know other people hear this but it's just you and i in this room and being able to verbally communicate um those types of feelings i feel in public settings i yeah. haven't done that in a really really long time yeah um and having somebody who could empathize, not necessarily sympathize with how challenging that is, was really encouraging. Knowing that for the rest of the time that I'll be here in the States, that's what's going to happen in some capacity. You know, yeah. you, you know, even with my family, my whole family's coming for sure. Christmas. Oh, and you're going to get asked all kinds of, yeah. And, you know, going to see my students sometime this week, having friends come over, but they come in a slew. You know, yeah, it's right. very few when it's just a couple at a time. And so that was just encouraging to reflect on the fact that it's OK for me to need to take a few seconds back yeah. and regroup. I get that. That was good. You said that earlier about intention, about being intentional. And that's one thing that I've tried to capture with this. And I hope it's effective. It feels like it's mm. it is that. But it's um, to intentionally sit down and have an intimate talk with somebody versus just, hey, we're going to talk and just kind of get through it. It's like, let's just let this go where it would go if we were just being intimate, you know, and having an intimate talk and trying to get to know somebody. And, you know, you don't know what you're going to ask. You just don't know what's going to pop into your brain. And let's just go Because that wasn't the plan. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's not what we meant to talk about. Yeah. No, but that that was a good thing. It was beautiful. It was encouraging. It was helpful for this time that I'm here. And from when I go back, to Nigeria because it'll happen again with all of the children wanting to know and asking questions and wanting to see pictures. It gets really overbearing. Yeah. But I, you know, being reminded that it's okay to just slip out and then slip back in when you when you can yeah no Mm -hmm. i get that well i thank you i really do for making the time Mm. taking the time to do oh i loved it this is i really i was hoping (laughs) well for (laughs) me it's a treat because you know i don't always well there's people that you meet in your life and you go boy i remember that Mm -hmm. and that might be the whole of it that's all you ever get is just to remember that yeah and to be able to have had that experience filming that and for it to have been sticky enough and then uh-huh. all these years later to uh-huh. get to sit and actually that's awesome. talk to you. Yeah, you know? that's like, awesome. That's a treasure for me. Oh, I'm glad. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Shaquilla Solomon. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. If you'd like to help me make Find the Good News even better, consider becoming an Early Riser patron at patreon.com slash news. Sharing and reviews help a lot as well. I sincerely thank you.
for pressing play.